Good afternoon and welcome to Grafted and Messiah. I'm your host, Gil Burgos, and tonight is November 21st, 2022. Got another great show for you lined up, so stick around. We got more to come. Keep it locked. Amen. That's Joshua Aaron Gadol Elohai. How great is our God. Hallelujah. Glory be to his name forever and ever. Alright, we're going to begin a new show tonight. I hope you guys uh, have been downloading and sharing the podcast with your friends, family, and loved ones. And we're hoping that you are being blessed by the shows. We hope that many people are be, are hearing it actually and that you again are sharing the news of Yeshua the Messiah to everyone abroad. Okay, tonight we're going to be speaking about how can I identify messianic prophecies in the Old Testament? How can I identify messianic prophecies in the Old Testament? Before I begin this article, I just want to say that, I don't know, by, by just looking at stuff on television, YouTube, movies, hearing streams online, watching 
stuff online. Again, on uh, whatever I may turn to, I just see prophecies being fulfilled left and right. I just see the coming of the Lord coming so very quickly. Even the commercials that you watch on television, they're getting worse and worse and worse. I, I just see... And I was I forgot which what what streaming service I was watching. Oh, it was Netflix. I was watching Netflix, I believe this was yesterday, and just by the commercial ad that came on before the movie started, which I didn't even watch. Because really there's nothing watched there. It's all garbage, if you ask me. I try to find something, but all of it is just a waste, it's rubbish. Anyway, before the movie I was going to watch that didn't watch came up, I saw a commercial it was, I believe, um, an HIV kind of commercial promoting some kind of medication for people who are HIV positive. And I just saw it. They just kept promoting, hetero, not hetero, but homosexuality. The, the whole commercial was geared towards homosexuality. Men kissing, men embracing as if one would embrace, a man would embrace a woman. And it was such a turnoff. And I said, wow, my granddaughter uses Netflix and she watches stuff. She has her own little channel, so to speak. But sometimes it's, it's not there. You know, sometimes I don't get a chance to switch it back. And I say to myself, what if she just would have went into my uh, account by accident and would have saw stuff like that? I mean, what does a, a child need to know about stuff like that so early? I mean, not even a teenager. And what's going on? They are exposing this to everyone. Listen, if you're a person that practices that lifestyle and that's on you, that's between you and God. I'm not here to throw stones. The Bible is clear. It's stand against homosexuality. However, I don't think people should be promoting this and just throwing it at people so blatantly as you see today and not only that commercial but it's blending into other commercials i just see more and more so you just like the enemy is so subtle he's like sneaking in stuff as you watch things you'll see this you'll see sometimes a, a commercial when you'll see two women and you can tell right away what's going on when they start either talking to each other they just real close to each other they're just holding hands a certain way or they're gleaning each other's into each other's eyes and it's pretty obvious what's going on. Not just men, but in women too. We see this being promoted left and right. Now, this show is not particularly about that. However, it is a prophecy that is coming to pass what's going to happen in the latter days. Men and women will become lovers of themselves. And that means they don't care about anything that has to do with God's laws, judgment. They just about them. They love themselves and their lifestyles. And they just listen. That's between you and God. And I think it's very clear what the Bible says about that lifestyle. From the very beginning in the Torah all the way to the end in the New Testament. There are references, especially Paul when he condemns it also. He speaks about in Romans chapter 1, about the women who exchanged, uh, I guess, uh, the way they exchange an unnatural relations, that is something that they would do with a man. They burned for one another, and it says in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. And then 
it's it, it gears towards the men also in the same chapter uh, all this lusting going on and again it's all a part of a messianic prophecy and how god is coming back but how can we identify with these messianic prophecies that are not only in the new testament but in the old testament because as we see a lot of stuff is coming to pass and it's not just homosexuality let me not just just stay on that one point we see people as it says lover men are be lovers of themselves uh, lustful boastful proud haters of parents you know it goes on and on and on i don't have the text in front of me but it's clear what that's exactly what you see it is so chaotic that more and more so you see the bible unfolding right before your eyes and you don't have to go far it just turn on your television or just look on your phone social media gets worse and worse on my phone is people promoting stupidity i don't know why it's all about money it's not all about social media anymore it's about everybody trying to make a buck and how can you buy my product i see more ads on social media than i do on regular television it's crazy you scroll as an ad. You scroll as an ad. Before it wasn't like that. Now it's just out of hand. Is is it worth? Is it worth like scrolling? Is it just should I put my phone down? Just like just unplug the uh, unplug this thing. Let it die out. Let the battery die out, or just get off this thing altogether. I wonder sometimes if it's even worth being on this stuff because again, it gets from it's gone from bad to worse, and it's getting worse and worse. And again, it's all a. Uh, part of what how the new testament mentions things that will be even me more chaotic as time progresses and i'm not going to go to those texts maybe i'll do that on another show but here i want to again identify these messianic prophecies that point to yeshua so i'm reading here from god questions as i always do i want to tackle this article reflect a little bit as i always do and see where we go the article begins by saying, by some counts, there are over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. That's why in the New Testament, we often find statements like this, and I quote, These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And that's in John 19.36. It says, some messianic prophecies in the Old Testament are fairly straightforward. Others are more indirect. Here are some pointers on identifying prophecies of the Mashiach or the Messiah. First of all, it says to study the word, and this should go without saying. But in understanding the Bible, there's no substitute for actually reading the Bible and prayerfully seeking wisdom from on high. As it says in James 1.5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Amen. Uh, here we go. Some messianic prophecies in the Old Testament are clearly identified as such by the prophets who wrote them. The word Messiah means anointed one or chosen one. And those titles are found in several prophecies. And we see one here in Daniel 9, 25 and 26. It says, Know therefore and understand that, there, that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming out and anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again in squares and most, but in a troubled time. So Daniel 9, 25 through 26 is an important prophecy about the Messiah's death. Psalm 2, 2 
also refers to the Lord's Lord's anointing, which says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Of course, context is always important when we interpret scripture. That is so, so true. Let me stop there for a moment. I see people, and this this can go for any religion, they can take the Bible and twist it into a doctrinal pretzel to make up a own doctrine and make you believe anything to be true and take it totally out of context. Meaning you take one verse and don't read it in context, being the whole three, four verses before and after to understand what exactly, what it's talking about, who it's talking about, and so forth and so on. If we do not read scripture in context, we can easily me we can easily misinterpret the Bible. Not every mention of an anointed one exactly in the Old Testament is a reference to the promised Messiah. For example, King Cyrus of Persia is called God's anointed one in Isaiah 45 verse 1. As it says, thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to lose the belts of kings and to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. And so is King Saul, as we see in 1 Samuel 24.10, which says, Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. This is David speaking. And some told me to kill you, but I spread you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So as we see here, both those kings were chosen by God for a special work, which is the underlining meaning of being anointed. So David's references to God's anointed one in Psalms 132, just the whole psalm, I won't read it, are an example of how the title can have a dual meaning. For example, David prays, Quote, for the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. We see this in Psalm 132.10. And here David makes reference to himself twice, calling himself God's quote-unquote servant and God's quote-unquote anointed one. David had been literally anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king, as we see in 1 Samuel 16.13. But the word David or David uses is the Hebrew word for Messiah or Mashiach and Psalm 132 can easily be applied to Jesus Christ or Yeshua HaMashiach in the New Testament. And then what makes this passage even more fascinating is that meeting following the mention of David as the anointed one, as you see in Psalm 132, starts talking about the Messiah. One of David's descendants will rule from the throne, as we see this in Psalms 132.11. And David's dynasty will be Unending, verse 12, then a twist, watch this, the Lord himself would rule from Zion forever, verses 13 and 14, as king, though all the Lord will bring abundance, salvation, and joy, as you see in verses 15 and 16. This king who comes from David will have divine strength, and all his enemies will be defeated, as we see in verses 17 and 18. But... Verse 17, watch this, contains another mention of God's anointed one. Put all this together, 
with the fact that the Messiah was commonly referred to as what? The son of David. And we see this in Matthew 24, 42 and Psalm 132, which is clearly a messianic prophecy. David, God's anointed one, was promised that an even greater anointed one would be sitting on the throne of Zion forever. So we have to learn the various titles of Messiah. For example, some Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament use different names for Messiah. For example, Isaiah 42.1 speaks of the Messiah as a what? Servant of the Lord. The prophecy of Numbers 24.17 calls the Messiah the star that comes from Judah. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, the Messiah is a branch that bears much fruit. Often the Messiah is presented in the Old Testament as a king who will rule in righteousness. And here are three references you can look at later on. You have Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, 32 and 1. Actually, it's four references. And then there's Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. And finally, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So again, compare scripture with scripture. Some Messianic prophets in the Old Testament are identified by New Testament writers. For example, Matthew especially is helpful in linking Old Testament prophecies to their fulfillment in the life of Christ. Jesus' birth is the fulfillment, Isaiah 7.14, Matthew 1.18-23. I'm throwing a lot of verses at you. Jesus' flight to Egypt turns out to be fulfillment of fulfillment of an indirect prophecy, Hosea 11.1, Matthew 22.15. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is linked to Zechariah 9.9, Matthew 21, 1-5. Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies, including Psalm 34.20, Zechariah 12.10, and John 19.31-37. Now, for the sake of time, I cannot read all these verses, but I think you should write them down at a later time, look at them, and they'll make a whole lot of sense to you, because right now, like keep stopping to read them, I think we'll be here until the cows come home, as they say. So let me continue. Sometimes Jesus' illusion is a pastor's clues that we are dealing with a messianic prophecy. For example, on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have he forsaken me? As we see in Matthew 27, 46. So as it turns out, those who are the exact words of Psalm 22.1, when we turn to 20, Psalm 22, we find many details of the crucifixion. The mocking Jesus endure, Psalm 22.7, Matthew 27.30-44. Jesus' thirst, Psalm 22.14, John 19.28. The piercing of his hands and feet, Psalm 22.16, John 20.20. And the casting of lots for his garment, Psalm 22:18 and Luke 22:34. Jesus' agonized cry serves as a signpost, pointing us to a treasure trove of messianic prophecies in the Psalms. Look for themes, similar circumstances, and matching details. That's what we basically need to do, and that's what it's telling us to do. When we look at the, all these verses of Scripture, they are clearly passages that point to the Messiah. If you read that and you're an Orthodox Jew and you can't tell who this is speaking about, you surely have some serious problems because this is plain. This is clear. I don't need a Talmud to figure it out. I don't need the Gomorrah to figure it out. I don't need the oral law to figure it out. If I just read the Bible. 
I will see and I will figure it out. But the problem is when people take outside references and outside commentaries and outside sources, things can get a little messy. And that's what people have done. That's what they do with the Torah. For example, they'll read a passage of Torah, of, of Torah and say, but what exactly, how do we define that? Thou shalt not do this or this or that. And the, the 613, if it says you shouldn't do this a certain way, they figure, well, what do you mean? If it says to do this, well, how do you mean? What day should we do that? And how should we do that? And how many times should we do this? And that's when this all comes into totally confusion. And men puts his, as they say, two cents in it. And it came, that's when it brings chaos. And that's what it comes by a mad made religion and law. And that's what Yeshua was condemning to the Pharisees. He told them, you people practice your own thing. And I'm paraphrasing. You people have your own stuff, your own laws, your own main, main rules. I didn't make them. They didn't come from my word because I am the word made flesh. And I never told you to do these things. But you, since you don't take the word for what it is, plain and simple, you want to add to the word. The Bible says not to add to the word or take away from the word. But since they people do that, they bring total chaos. And anytime we do add our own thoughts, our own commentary, we are going in a different direction. If only people would just take the word of God for what it is and read it clearly, it would just spell it out for you. And you will get to see what the Bible is signifying. I mean, there are times, yeah, okay, you may pick up something to make something clear, but that shouldn't change the message of what the text is basically going to tell you. When you start taking the text out of context, then you have a whole different thing going on here. And that's what many people do. Not just Orthodox Jews, but Christians can do the same. They can be just as guilty. So let me finish this last portion, then we're going to take a break. As again, I said, look for themes, similar circumstances, and matching details. Some Messianic prophets in the Old Testament take the form of types. The Old Testament sacrifices are, defi- I'm sorry, are definite types of the Messiah who would shed his blood for our sin. The temple's lampstand, altar of incense, and table of showbread are also clear types of Christ's light, intercession, and position, actually provision. That is so powerful what I just read. I like that. Let me read that again. The temple's lampstand, also of incense, and table of showbread are also clear types of Christ's light, intercession, and provision. Hallelujah. That is so that is so good. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue where we left off. So keep it locked. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a few right here on Grafted in Messiah. Thank you. 
Amen. You are holy, Joshua Aaron. I had some kind of difficulty right here with that one. I don't know what happened. My phone got unplugged <laughs> to the mixer for some reason. It's always a problem here with me with this. Anyway, we're back from our break, Skill Burgos, and you're listening to Grafted in Messiah. Grafted in Messiah. Listen, check us up on our website and listen to uh, Great Christianity. Great Messianic Judaism, music. Uh, I got a lot of stuff going on there. I got some podcasts that you can listen to on ministry. There's some videos. That's a lot of stuff going on the website. So come by, visit us, and leave a message. And leave your prayer request as well. We'll pray for you. All right, we're going to continue where we left off on our message of how to identify Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. And what's good about Doing this, it confirms a lot of Yeshua's life and ministry, who he was, especially when it comes to his death and resurrection. Psalm 22 is a home run, if you ask me, when it comes to uh, confirming the Messiah. Psalm 22 has so many verses in there. They point to the, the Gospel of Matthew, especially, and John as well. Anyway, you're going to finish up the last portion of this article and it says here, Joseph's dreams of his family bowing down to him in Genesis 37 came true, even though Joseph's brothers hated him. The rejection and eventual exaltation of Joseph can be seen as foreshadowing the rejection of Christ and his exaltation to the right hand of God. In the same way, Boaz's actions in the book of Ruth can be viewed as an indirect prophecy of the work of Christ on our behalf. The life of Joshua as well, so full of faith and victory, can also be seen as a precursor to Christ, especially when we consider that Joshua and Jesus 
or Yeshua are both forms of the same Hebrew name, as I mentioned, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Viewing the same stories of Joseph, Boaz, and Joshua as Messianic prophecies require a certain amount of inference, but it is not a misuse of scripture to acknowledge the parallels exist. Jesus himself uses the elements of the story of Jonah as a prophecy of his resurrection. And we see that in Luke 11, 29 and 30, which says, when the crowds are increasing, they began, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will it be for the Son of Man, etc., etc. And I think, let me stop there for a moment. I think we see a same mindset of people. They just want to see stuff before they believe. And you have to believe who God is and that he is exists. Just look at nature around you. That's an evidence of who there's a God. And look at the sky, look at the sun, look at the moons, look at the human body, how it was created, how intricate in detail, how the eye is constructed, everything about a, a body. How can that just happen? How can you say boom, like they say the boom thing? How can you say something exploded in space and everything came into, into perspective? Seriously? I don't think so. All right, let me finish up here. Messianic prophecies deal with some aspect of the Messiah's nature, ministry, or associations. For example, Genesis 3.15 predicts a serpent-crushing Savior who will be the seed of a woman. The prophecy suggests the virgin birth as well as Christ's victory over Satan. As you see in Jeremiah 31.15, predicts Herod's massacre of the children in Bethlehem. And you'll see that also Matthew 2, 16 through 18. And Isaiah 35, 5 through 6 prophesies that the Messiah would heal the blind, lame, and mute, as we see in Luke 7, 22. And finally, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus told his disciples, quote, everything must be fulfilled. That is written about me in the law of Moses or the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is all, all this called the Tanakh. And you see that in uh, Luke 24, 44. The whole Testament law, prophets, and writings contain messianic prophecies. And all of these prophecies, quote, must be fulfilled. And I think it's coming even, like I said when I started this podcast, coming to be, be fulfilled on a daily basis. And finally, the study of prophecy and the fulfillment is really the study of God's faithfulness. Amen. In particular, the messianic prophecy reveals God's faithfulness in saving his people. Such a study is infinitely infinitely rewarding hallelujah hallelujah glory be to god all right we're going to finish up here with one more song by joshua aaron called hoshiana
my salvation Whom shall I be afraid Alright guys, thank you for being with us tonight. We hope and pray that this message was a blessing to you. For more information on the ministry, again visit us on the web at www.graftedinmessiah.org and check out the new radio player that we have on the website with some great messianic praise, just like what you're hearing right here by Joshua Aaron. Alright, till the next time I see you, may the Lord richly bless you. Shalom.